going to continue on with this idea of, of being able to see uh, and, and blindness and, and, and the cloudiness. And what I want to start off is I want to talk about this. I want to take like almost like a medical approach to this. And I want to talk about spiritual blindness. We're going to look at some biblical examples. I want to talk a little bit about some of the symptoms of spiritual blindness. Of course, I want to talk about the cure. And then I want to talk about how has life changed once you can see more clearly? How does that, what does that really look like in your day-to-day, minute-to-minute life? Uh, how do you view people differently? And so we're going to go back to really the beginning, or at least the, the beginning of, of humankind. Uh, and we're in Genesis. Uh, Adam and Eve are walking around in the garden, and, uh, and it closes out uh, with... Um, they they were they were in the garden and they were naked and they knew no shame, and so then we're gonna uh, begin with chapter three, and all of a sudden we're gonna have somebody introduced uh, into the story and onto the scene. Incoming stage left is the serpent. He's gonna come in. He's gonna start talking to Eve. He's going to convince, coerce, flat-out lie uh, about um, what happens if, if she eats of the fruit. She's going to eat of the fruit. She's going to give it to her husband, Adam. He's going to eat of the fruit. And then what's the very next thing that happens? And, and I'll, I'll kind of help you out just a little bit. Um, uh, verse 7 of chapter 3, Genesis 3, 7, what is the first Thing that happens after they eat the fruit their eyes were open okay I want to talk a little bit about that what what does that mean what can they now see when their eyes are opened does it mean that they've been blind they've been like kind of like they can't see what does it mean by like they their eyes are opened okay they realize that they were naked okay um, what else comes along with that? They, they realize their nakedness, their loss of innocence. Okay, so now they seem, uh, they see shame. Okay, uh, they're going to see regret. Uh, they're, they're going to see their past. That, that in turn will inform what? How they see what? The wor- their world and, and their future. Okay, so everything is going to change. You think, oh, their eyes are open, they can see this is a good thing. But, but they're not, before, if, the, if their eyes were closed, what did we talk about if you're a blind person? What does that mean? You, well, you can't see anything, but what do you have to do? You have to rely. Okay, so they, they trusted, they relied in God. He was the one who was providing for them. He was sustaining. He was the one who was walking with them. And all of a sudden, their eyes are open and they realize they're full of shame. And in, and in their eyes being opened, then the reliance on God changes. In fact, ultimately, God is going to force them out of the garden. He's going to do it for their own good. But he's also going to clothe them in the process. But, but now all of a sudden, um, th- their eyes are open. And what's the first thing they do once they realize that their eyes... They can see, what do they do? They hide. Isn't that odd? 
when their eyes are open and all of a sudden they realize they can see and what do they want to do? Make sure no one else can see them. Specifically God. God's going to you know, call out to them and they're like, well, we, we were naked so we hid. Well, who, who told you you were naked? This is not the only story, but this is the first story. Another story uh, in which we can talk about this, this spiritual uh, blindness that people feel and, and their eyes uh, uh, not really allowing them to see clearly is the story of Sarah, which later her name's going to be changed to Sarah. Uh, but she's going to be Sarah for a long time, and this is basically when, when she's going to struggle with a God who makes promises. And a God who keeps them. In her defense, uh, she has been promised something absolutely ludicrous. Okay, she, she's going to be told well, well beyond her childbearing years that she is going to have a child. Okay, and um, that she's in her 70s. That's not looking good. But then next month, nothing happens. <laughs> That's okay, because then the next year, you know, she, she finds out that she's still not pregnant. And that rolls into a decade and another decade. And, I mean, we're talking about, I mean, she's getting pretty old by the time that God says, well, this time next year you're going to have a child. And she what? She laughs. She's like, there's no way. She, she can't see. Her understanding of, of uh, how the body works, of how other people around her have had kids, she's like, there's no way that God can work like this. And she doesn't believe. You know, our eyes sometimes... Um, are clouded and we can't see um, how God looks over us. Sometimes we can't see that he has a promise for us that that will come true. For the Israelites, they had to be the most blind people that there were because they struggled every day with the fact that God was going to take care of them while God was taking care of them. God was providing manna that came down. He was providing the quail. He was providing the light at night and the cloud in the daytime. They were literally following God. And as he's leading them to the promised land, they've got a shortcut. They're headed there. They get there. They send in the spies. The spies says, man, this land is great and the people are big. There's no way we can win. Why did you bring us out here to die where there are not enough graves? Let's go back to Egypt. We, we can find our way back. And, and what God basically said was, don't you see? Don't you see how I've looked after you? Did you forget the Red Sea? You know, the big body of water that I dried up so you could walk across that would close in and kill Pharaoh and his army? Had you forgotten that? I mean, is the taste of manna and quail already out of your mouth? 
that you can't remember that you woke up this morning, you walked outside, and you picked up the food that would sustain you for the day? Did you forget that? Can you not see the fire at night and the cloud during the daytime? God basically says, you're blind. All you can see are the the big people living in Canaan. You can't see that I'm bigger. Right? They're not the only ones. Another Old Testament example. And I'm sorry, I have to do it again. Just at least once a month, I have to talk about Jonah. I love Jonah. I love the story of Jonah. Jonah's blind. Jonah is blind. I, I mean, chapter one is the most exciting. Okay, we love chapter one. Okay, he, he gets on a bu- so many great things. Chapter two, he has this most beautiful prayer that like you feel like you could pull apart because when you read one and then three and four, you think, where does two fit in this? But he has this beautiful prayer. And then chapter three, you know, he gets spit out of the, the, the big fish, the whale. And, he, you know, a second time the, uh, the word of the Lord comes to him and says, go to Nineveh. Nineveh, he preaches, he comes out, he goes and sits up on top of the hill because he's ready for the fireworks because God's going to destroy Nineveh because they're terrible bad people and they deserve to die. And God allows the shrub to grow up and it gives him uh, comfort for the day, right? And this is where it really underscores the blindness because God is then going to send a worm that's going to eat the the plant. It's going to shrivel up and now he's sitting there and he's in the sun and he is furious, because he had really good seats before, and now all of a sudden he's just burning up. And do you remember the question? Do you remember the question that God asked Jonah? I mean, basically the question was, don't you see? He says, how come you're worried about that shade tree, but you care nothing about the 120,000 people who are living down in that city? Can you not see them? You're right there. All you see is, is, is people that you hate and despise. And your desire for revenge is greater than your desire for forgiveness. And that's not the God that I am. So let's go into the New Testament. And I want to highlight a couple of people. And I don't want to pick on Peter. But I will because he's an easy target. Peter hops out of the boat. Remember, he walks out to Jesus on water. He starts walking and he's going to sink. But just before he sinks, what do we read? He sees the waves around him. And all of a sudden, what happens? He can't see clearly anymore. He's more concerned about the waves and the threat that they pose than the salvation, the miracle that's offered by Jesus. And he loses sight. And it's going to happen again. I referenced this a little bit earlier. I love Matthew chapter 16. And in verse 16, Peter gives this amazing statement because Jesus says, who do people say that I am? They say, well, he's John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. He says, what about you? What do you think? And Peter issues this, this amazing statement of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commends him for it. He says, you're right. And, and uh, you, you, are, you are the rock. You are Peter. 
And on this rock, this statement, I'm going to build my church. We're not even out of chapter 16. And Jesus is going to say, hey, I just want you to know that, that I'm going to die. Peter says, we're not having any of this. Peter can't see clearly. Peter doesn't understand that in order for there to be salvation, that there has to be the sacrifice. And the sacrifice can't continually be this lamb every year over and over again that couldn't possibly carry the sins of the world. He doesn't understand that Jesus says, I'm going to be the lamb. I'm going to be the one. Just uh, a couple of days ago, I, I received a text. I think it was from, maybe Sarah's the one who sent it to me. Um, and it was talking about how one thing that was really special about the nativity scene. And one of the things they talked about was, what was baby Jesus wrapped in? This, this, this swaddling cloth. And, and I, I didn't know anything about this, but they went on to talk about how that's what they used for... For lambs. That after they were, born, they were born, they would wrap them up. Jesus says, I'm the lamb that's got to be slaughtered. But, but Peter couldn't see. Peter couldn't see that God had a plan for Jesus that wasn't the plan that Peter and the rest had for him. Their plan was, Jesus is going to come in, he's going to wreck shop, he's going to send off the Romans, he's going to set up his kingdom, and we're all going to sit on this board of really powerful people, and we're going to fix this out, and we're going to figure it out, and we're, we'll get rid of the tax collectors, and, and we, we get to shame the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, that'll be a fun part of it. You know, James and John, they're like, hey, let's call down, you know, fire from heaven. There's a few Samaritan villages, villages that we can destroy along the way. And they don't really get it. But one of the most touching ones for me, the story in the New Testament where people don't really see clearly is the story of John the Baptist. Jesus and John the Baptist were, were virtually the same age. They, I mean, they would, have, they would have grown up together. John sacrificed in phenomenal ways. I mean, I, I, I want you to think about the difference between the way Jesus lived and the way John lived. John was in the desert. Jesus went around from city to city. John the Baptist oftentimes fasted and he ate locusts and wild honey which honestly i don't know the difference between wild and tame honey i mean if somebody knew the difference i'd love to know but either way the only reason you eat wild honey or honey anyway is to just like take out the bitterness of the locust that you're eating just i mean you got to soften that thing up i can't imagine that crunchy little insect and that's what he did what a sacrifice and while i don't think it's too much of a stretch to guess that John would have been a pretty scrawny guy. I mean, he's not getting a lot of nourishment. He's fasting a lot. He's out in the desert. I mean, he lived some hard, hard years. And he, his teaching is a lot less rosy. It's more 1950s than 2020. I'll just say that much. 
Do you remember when, when the teachers of the law come out to see him? They're walking out. Do you know how he introduces them? You know how he welcomes them? You brood of vipers. Who told you to come out here? He's ultimately going to lose his life. He is going to have his head chopped off because he's speaking against the immorality of Herod. And what is Jesus doing? I mean, this is the truth. Jesus is going to wedding parties and feasts. And in fact, so much so that they're going to say, oh, no. Jesus' followers, y'all are, are a bunch of um, uh, gluttons and drunkards. Y'all are always going to parties. And so at one point, Matthew chapter 11, it's also in uh, Luke 7, John is going to send a, a really big question. Do you remember what the question was? He says, are you the one? I think John wants him to be the one. I think John has heard that he's the one. He, he heard the stories. You know, he, he is the one who is, is prophesying, who prepare the way. I mean, just, just a, a couple of months earlier, a year earlier, Jesus is going to um, come onto the scene. He's going to go down to the Jordan. And you remember the response of, of John as he's coming? Behold the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Again, okay, let's, let's talk about this for a second. What does it mean when he says, behold the Lamb of God? What, what is he referencing? Why would he call him a lamb? He's going to be a sacrifice. He says, you're going to be the sacrifice. And, and, and if you're confused about that, he's going to go on to say, who's going to take away the sins of the world? Like this wasn't like a, 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 you know, a cute little saying. This was like, you are the sacrificial lamb. You're the one that's going to take away the sins of the world. And how does that happen? For a lamb, there's only one way that happens. You have to be sacrificed. John's in jail. And things are not going as planned. And he starts hearing stories about Jesus. And it doesn't really sound like a lamb type of story. Are you really? Like, you're the lamb. You're, you're supposed to be sacrificing. I don't know if he made this connection, but if I'm John and I'm in jail, I'm thinking, yep, I get it. I'm in jail, I'm rotting away, and any day I could die, and I keep hearing stories about how Jesus, the lamb that was sent by God to carry the sins of the world, is going to wedding feasts. I sacrifice, I fast, I stand up for what is wrong, and I'm in prison, and Jesus is out Going to feasts. He's feeding 4,000. He's feeding 5,000. Where's my bread? Where's my healing? Where's my miracle? He doesn't see. 
And I just, I love over and over again how when people can't see clearly the way that Jesus handles them. He knows exactly how to handle the situation. And it's, it's almost the opposite of how he handled Peter. He had to reassure him. He says, you know, the lame walk, the blind see. You know, the, the word of the Lord is being proclaimed. But he couldn't really see. And so Jesus had to remind him. I don't know about you, but like for me, a lot of days are, are spiritually blurry. It is so easy for these, these, these filters to get in our way. Um, we were just talking a couple days ago with my family. Lily and I were talking. I don't know what got us on the subject, but she, she mentioned um, that um, how much easier it was to grow up when you didn't have a, a phone right in front of you. And she's exactly right. <laughs> like, how much more difficult is life that we have that device in front of us? Like, I mean, I, I don't know. Can you guys... Avery Teagan, can y'all remember a time when you didn't have, like, smartphones weren't a thing? I mean, they've always been a thing, haven't they? One of my favorite stories, and I get to pick on Lynn Blackman. Always Lynn Blackman. Okay, but this is one of my favorite stories. Several years ago, they came over, uh, it's probably five or six years ago, and they stopped by around Christmas time, and they wanted to bring some gifts for our kids. And um, Gracie was probably four or five years old. I think I've shared this story with some people. And they gave her like one of those little Fisher-Price, like little play phones. Like, you know, it looks like it makes noises and stuff. And so she tears this thing open, right? So she sees it's a phone. Lynn sees it's a phone. And th but that's the only thing that, that they think a phone does. Like that's the only thing they have in common. What does five-year-old Gracie think that you do with a phone? You look at it, and she, start, she starts pushing things. Lynn sees this, right? And what does he do? I, this is one of my favorite things. He says, no, no, sweetheart. And he gets the phone, and he goes, here, you put it up to your ear. And she was like, I mean, the look on her face was, how can I see it when it's up to my ear? Like, I, And so she pulled it away, and, she started, and he's like, no, 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 no. You got you to put it up to your ear. She, no, no, no. But it's so hard. Like, that phone is always in front of us. It's always in front of us, even when we're driving. I, I can't figure it out. For some reason, if you're under the age of 20, you assume that you have to drive with one hand so you can hold you know, your phone in the other and text while you're doing it, just in a school zone, while kids are crossing. I, I don't, never mind. Okay, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. But it's really, it is really hard. These filters come in front. And, and I want to talk especially to our, our younger folks. And if you want to say, hey, he must be talking to me and you're 70, that's fine. You can be in that group too. I'm, I'm not excluding anyone. But, but for some of you, I just want you to know there are lots and lots of filters that are always coming in front of you. Okay, there's, there's going to be sports, there's going to be popularity, there's going to be school, there's going to be digital devices, there are going to be the things that you say and the things that you do and the clothes that you wear. Okay, these things are just going to come over and, and they're going to bombard you over and over again. And it's going to make seeing Jesus really difficult. 
And yes, I feel like that life was easier lived 30 years ago when we didn't have smartphones and really no one had any form of communication unless you were standing near a wall or had that really long cord that would wrap around the house. You know, so you, you see it go under the, the door and you know, oh, my brother's on the phone again, really. But I'll say this, like even if I go back, I can go back to my childhood and I can say, well, yeah, it was a whole lot easier. And, and some of you can say, you want to know what? Why life was easier when we didn't have MTV and we didn't have, you know, 50 different channels that you could watch. Some of you can go back and say, I can remember when we only had three channels and they turned off at 10 p.m. Like they would have the sign off and the American flag. Y'all can remember that. I can remember on some of those channels when I was really young, they, they would, would sing the national anthem at like 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock and it would go off and that was done. Like there wasn't any more TV. And some of you can say, well, I can remember when I was a kid, we didn't have a TV. Life was easier. We had the radio. And so I think all of us, most of us would say, you know what? All these distractions, they make it harder. Why were, why were people so much more spiritual or at least interested in, in a God or, or gods throughout history is because they were they didn't have all those filters that were coming in the way. And when the sun went down, there were no lights other than the moon and the stars. And people would sit and stare and they would think about it. Who is God? What are those things out there? What does that mean for me? But we allow ourselves to kind of get all cluttered up and we can't see really well. And so the cure, of course, is being able to see ourselves and to see our world the way God sees it, the way that God sees us. But what I really want to talk about for a few minutes now is what does seeing uh, what does seeing clearly change? And I want to say this: I believe it radically changes how you live life. I think it radically changes how you teach. your work, your conversations at the water cooler, what you really think about the people around you. I think it changes how we view politics and politicians and government. And I don't want to go into this too much, but I want you to know this. There is not an authority in place that has been allowed without God being a part of it. Whether you like them or not, God chose people and can use them in really powerful ways. And I thought about flashing some pictures up here 
but I, I don't want to get everybody all riled up. <laughs> Listen, like I, I, I can show you a picture of Donald Trump. He is not your God. And he is not the devil. Joe Biden is not your God and he's not the devil. Nancy Pelosi, not your God, not the devil. Luhan Grisham, not your God, not the devil. I, those, those four people that I listed, here's what I, I can tell you for sure I know about them. That God created all four of those. God deeply desires to take their hand and walk with them and allow them to see. That's what he wants for Joe Biden more than anything else he wants for Joe Biden. He wants him to be someone who loves and acknowledges and praises and worships the Lord. That's what he wants. That's what God wants for Joe Biden. That's what he wants for Michelle, right? Lujan Grisham. That's what he wants for her. That's what he wants for Trump. That, and, and as we look at those people, and we have a very polarized society, and we can easily say they're either on this side or on that side, or they're the good people or they're the bad people. How, how does our... Actions and our thoughts change when we see things clearly. Okay, kids, what about school? How has school changed when you think about what Jesus really means for you? I'm not saying it makes it easier. But does it mean how you treat your teachers and the dreaded substitute and the mean evil golf coach? Does that change? I mean, it just what would happen? I, just, I, I can't stop thinking about what would happen if we started seeing people through the eyes of Jesus. If we started talking about politics through the eyes of Jesus. If we started treating our neighbor and the garbage man and the, the postal worker the way that Jesus would want us to treat them. How would that change? How many marriages would be saved? Um, there was a, um, a young child um, who just came into the school system in Hobbs um, just just recently uh, and that that child is is on a an, an age level uh, and in a grade where they should be doing uh, multiplication um, and division uh, and writing sentences and being able to diagram them and the child can write, like a kindergartner. And the child 
left Hobbes because they were pulled out of the school system from CPS. Because this child and their sibling was living in a car. They, they were homeless. And they moved to a different state. And the sibling woke up the child. I, I don't know all the details, but said, where's mom? We can't find her. Um, I think at the time they were seven and eight years old, possibly. They didn't find mom. Mom died. And they get brought back here. And they are just struggling. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine that. No parents. No home. No one that, that tucks you in and prays for you. No one who will wake you up and say, you know, let's eat breakfast. No one who will help you find your shoes when you can't find them in the morning. No one to make sure that you have soap and shampoo and a toothbrush. And that, that child is, is going to struggle. And we are absolutely privileged people. And we walk in and we get upset when things don't go the way we want them to. And we judge people. And there are so many adults who grew up in a, a very neglectful, abusive environment. Some of them are in an abusive relationship right now. And they leave their house where they're abused by their, by their husband. And they show up to work. And they get your order wrong. And you start criticizing and cutting them down. Because the fries are cold. Because you ask for no tomatoes. And we just don't see through the eyes of Jesus. And I'm not here to kick your shins. I mean, we spent a lot of time looking through of all these people who couldn't see clearly. Adam and Eve couldn't see clearly. Sarah couldn't see clearly. The Israelites, even the cloud and the, the fire, they couldn't see clearly. Peter had Jesus right there with him. He couldn't see clearly. John the Baptist grew up with Jesus. He couldn't see clearly. But I want you to think about what happens when we can see Jesus more clearly. I want to take just a minute. I want to do something a little different. Um, we're going to show a slide. If you want to go ahead and put this slide up here. Some of you may have seen this before. There are four dots in the middle of this picture. And so I want you to, if you can dim these lights right here. I don't, I can't get my hand on up. But I want you to focus on those four dots. Just, just stare at them as intently as you can. And don't blink.
Just keep staring. Just look at those dots. Okay, now don't keep don't take your eyes off the screen. Just keep them right on the screen. Guy, just watch that screen. Can you see it? Isn't that pretty incredible? Now we can talk about the signs of it, how it like the, the negative. Everybody see what's on the screen. Okay, in a minute, you're going to look again, and you're going to be like, why, why is there a white screen up there? What happened to Jesus? He was up here just a minute ago, and now I can't see him anymore. I, just, I love thinking about the fact that the more that we focus on Jesus, the more that we can see him in our daily life. I, I want to share a, a few illustrations. Uh, there was a, um, a youth pastor who was... Uh, working with his his youth group and and there had been uh, a little bit of an uh, a, a tiff between several of the kids and and they had kind of argued and enough to where there were kind of these factions I, I think it was a boyfriend girlfriend that broke up and then you had the two different teams well he was wrong or she was wrong and they were they were just bickering at each other and so he decided he says okay let's just figure out who's really at fault and so um, he took uh, two pictures of the kids their faces and he put them on uh, on a cork board and he says okay we're just going to do by democracy who's the one at fault right um, and so here's what we're going to do. He, he gave everybody a dart. And he says, I want you to throw the dart at the person who's wrong. Uh, and, and so, of course, you know, they, they all lined up and they, they threw the darts. And he says, okay, you, you've spent a lot of time going after these people. And he went up to the cork board and he pulled down the two pictures. And behind them were pictures of Jesus. And he says, as long as you're focusing in on, on what you don't like about people, your hurts and your pains, you're going to throw those darts. But I want you to know that, that you need to understand that inside of everyone is someone who needs Jesus. And when you throw darts at those people, when they get your order wrong or they, they slip up or they, this is on me, when they cut in front of you when you're waiting in line to drop off your kid, like when that happens, like driving that car is a person who was created and loved by God. And, and I need to see them for who they are, not who I make them out to be. Just a, a week ago, I was listening to a podcast and someone said, if you don't see God in everything, you won't see God in anything. And I just wonder what would happen if we started seeing God in, in everyone. If we could see in everyone the fact that they're loved by, by God. That, that, that lamb died for those people. I'll one story and then uh, we'll be dismissed for the morning. Uh, this goes back to my, my youth group days. One of my uh, uh, favorite stories I love to tell. One morning, uh, uh, a coach uh, at a, a little Christian school uh, was talking uh, to, to the kids and uh, wanted to talk about you know sacrifice and, and, and really seeing Jesus and being able to accept him for yourself. Uh, and so many of you have, have heard this. Some of you probably have not. 
uh, but he, he he got in there and he he, he pulled a, a kid uh, from from the football team, big, strong, athletic kid, and said, hey, I, I want you to do something for me. Um, he said, sure. He says, you know, will you come to the front of the class? Uh, and he had prepared him ahead of time. He says, I want you to do I want you to do push-ups for me. He's like, okay. And so the coach uh, uh, set down uh, a, a box of donuts on the first desk. And he asked the student, would you like a donut? And the, of course, it's, it's a high school student, and it's a donut. Because donuts, you know, everybody loves donuts. And the kid said yes, so it, he, turned, he turned over to Luke, and he says, Luke, I need you to do 10 push-ups. And they're like, what? So Luke knocks out 10 push-ups like it's nothing. He goes to the second desk and says, do you want a donut? And the second student says, yes. And so he says, Luke, I want you to do 10 push-ups for the donut. He went to the third one. By about the fifth one, it's kind of a little bit harder for Luke, but he's doing it. By the sixth one, they get to it, and the boy says, I want a donut, but I want to do the push-ups. And he says, it doesn't work that way. You can't do the push-ups. Luke has to do the push-up. But he really wants the donut. So he says, okay, that continues on for a few more rows until you can really tell that Luke is struggling. And they get to one young lady, uh, and the, the teacher says, would you like a donut? And she says, no, I don't want a donut. He says, okay. He sets down the donut on her desk, and he turns to, do, turns to Luke and says, I want you to do 10 push-ups for the donut that this girl won't eat. And the girl says, no, 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 that's not, I said I didn't want a donut. He says, that's not how it works. And, and as, as they went on to the last few students, Luke, who was this strong, fit, high school student, was just struggling. And everybody stop and no one wanted to eat the donut first few wolfed down their donut but the people who, who had gone later on they let that donut sit and when the prof when the teacher got done he looked at the students he says i want you to understand this jesus sacrificed for all of you you couldn't do it but he could. But I want you to know that by not accepting his grace and his mercy and his sacrifice does not mean that he didn't die for you. It just means that you wouldn't take it. There are people out there who Jesus died for. And that they are sitting there and for any number of reasons says, I just won't accept what he's offered to me. What we need to do is we need to see them as people in which Jesus loved so much that he, he sacrificed for them. And that we need to love them in such a way and treat them in such a way that they can see Jesus living in us. I said I was done, but it's 1047 and I have three minutes left. Friday, I um, ended up going to the golf course. Um, yes, it, I, I, uh, I, I played hooky. Um, I got permission. 
and I went to a um, a girls golf tournament where Lily was was playing, and um, it was cold. It was cold. For those of you who don't remember, on Friday when they were supposed to tee off, it was 25 degrees. Uh, thankfully, when they finally teed off at noon, it had warmed up to 31 degrees or something like that, and the wind was still blowing, and it was freezing cold. And and it is golf is always a challenge, but when you can't feel your extremities, it makes it a little harder. And so Lily didn't have the best few holes starting off. And she was disappointed in herself. And then I, I got to visit um, Mike Mills um, is a golf coach. Uh, and he's a teacher. And he's married to Michelle. And both of them are, are, are literally legends and heroes in, in the Crumb House. And his status went up, not as Michelle. But his status went up because, bless her heart, I love Lily, and she was just, she was really downhearted. This was her, her first tournament of the season, and it just wasn't working out like she wanted it to, and it was freezing cold. And, and Coach Mills um, went up to her, and he started talking to her. And he said, Lily, you're just not a very good golfer, and you're terrible. And either you can snap your clubs and throw them in the water, or I'll do it for you, but you probably should just quit. I'm out. <laughs> I, I didn't hear the whole conversation, but none of that was what he said. And he, he said things like, you know, it's okay. Just settle down, go back to the basics. You know, who you are has nothing to do with what's written on this scorecard. And then he literally walked with her. And they walked through that course. And then I got to see Lily do something that, that has been hard for her. She completely bounced back. And, and on that scorecard, it, it looked a lot better. Better than what I could have done. And you know what it took? It took seeing things more clearly. To being reminded that who you are as a person is not defined by your athletics, not by your aptitude, not by your musical talent, not by who your boyfriend is. It's not judged by how much money that you make or the degrees that you have or any of those things that seem so important that the world says that we have to have. And, and, and Mike says, just get back to the basics. Just focus on this. You need to get back to the basics. You're a child of God who is absolutely loved by Him. He sings over you. He sent His Son for you, and He loves you. Work stinks. Marriage is hard. Kids are going crazy. Back to the basics. You just know that God's right there with you. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And He walked with her. Just like Jesus walks with us. He just said, you know what? You just need to be reminded of who you are. Regardless of what's going on in your life. What's, regardless of what's going on in the news. You have a God that loves you. And so I just, I, I want to commend you, Mike. I, I, I got to tell you, he and Michelle 
have have had such a powerful impact on on my oldest uh, children, uh, and I expect that you know if if you guys are still teaching when Gracie uh, comes up through high, you're shaking your head like there's no way. You guys can't retire until Gracie graduates. Then we'll talk about this. By the way, she's in fourth grade, so you know. I know what were we thinking. <laughs> Um, and so I just want you to think about that there are people that you can just walk alongside. There are people at your workplace that you cannot stand. There are people who live on your street that you can't stand. There's a, just, just walk with those people and love them. Allow them to see uh, God clearly through you because you see them the way God does. I, this got flipped around and I apologize. The sermon was more like a class. The class was more like a sermon. The, the kids that were normally downstairs got brought up here like I got stuck up here for this. We, we got flip-flopped a little bit. But I just want you guys to, to think about how seeing people through the eyes of Jesus, seeing him more clearly can, can really change how we treat people and how we love people. Um, it's what the world needs and it's what God offered through Jesus. So I want to close out in prayer and we'll be dismissed for the morning. Father God, I just I thank you again uh, for being uh, a God who, who loves us, uh, who offers forgiveness through your son Jesus, and who gives us an opportunity to see more clearly. Uh, for some of us, we've had that relationship with you. We've, we've walked with you. We've been touched by you. And yet when we open our eyes, things seem a little blurry. And Lord, we just we need that second touch. We need that reminder. Uh, that, that sometimes we can't see um, clearly. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we will seek um, that, that, um, uh, that new perspective, that, that we, can, we can see you, we can see uh, how you see us, and we can see how you see other people uh, so that we can show that love to them as well. Lord, I'm thankful uh, for people uh, like Mike and Michelle and, and so many people in here who've dedicated themselves to walking with people, uh, to help people seeing the love of Jesus in their lives. Lord, I just pray that, that this group of people and the other Christians that are meeting here around town, here in Hobbs, that we can just show Jesus in such a way that, that we can just start a, a resurgence, a revival, a renewal, a desire to, to look at you and, and see you clearly. God, may you get all of the glory for this. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for